Anyone been on summer holiday? Yeah, quite a lot of people. Good weather? Yeah, well, we went on summer holiday this year. Now, as you can imagine, our summer's been a bit all over the show this year with the move, and we left it really last minute to book anywhere. So Timothy, our eldest, had this idea. He said, rather than go and stay in a cottage or something similar, let's do a tour. So we did. We booked a tour of the north of England. We went to Durham, then we went across to the Lake District, and then we came down to the Yorkshire Dales. We know how to live, you know, we really do. There was only one slight problem. As we were driving up the A1, it started to rain. Now, I'm there thinking, well, it'll be all right. It'll stop. It did stop 72 hours later. (laughs) There's a slight problem when it's raining like that and you've got two small boys in tow. You start to run out of things to do. And our holiday was sort of turned upside down, but we were traveling from the northeast over to the Lake District. And we were going, I don't know if you've ever been on the road up through Alston, I think it is. It goes right over the top of the Pennines, and we saw the edge of the cloud. I have never been so thankful to see the edge of a cloud in my life. And we came over the top, and suddenly the view was transformed. What had been dark hills covered in drizzle and rain suddenly becomes amazing view. The sun came out, the Lake District was there in the distance, gleaming. I have never been so pleased to see the sun. All three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record this event called the Transfiguration. This event where Jesus is physically transformed. Peter, who was there, also makes reference to it in his second letter. Luke records the event here taking place after the feeding of the 5,000. You get the feeding of the 5,000. You get that Peter, who then makes the declaration of who Jesus is. He says, you are the Christ. And then Jesus tells his disciples all this disturbing news that he's going to die, that he's going to be handed over, but then the amazing truth of the resurrection is going to come after that. All that has happened in the previous verses, and then Luke tells us, eight days later, we get this incredible event. This event called the Transfiguration, this event that takes place up a mountain, where Jesus is physically changed in front of the eyes of the disciple. So you might be thinking, well, what is all this about? Is this not a bit of a strange passage to pick for a first preach? This is not about starting out ministry. This is midway through Jesus' ministry. What is all this about? Well, really, what I hope we get from this this morning in the few brief moments before we actually go on to sausages and burgers and other exciting things is actually the significance of who we're called to follow. That we capture a glimpse of who Jesus is and the commission that he's called us on. And I think we see four things in this passage. The first thing that I think we see is that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. The word transfiguration is taken from a Greek word, metamorphosis, which means to change into something else. I don't know if you've ever read any Greek myths or legends or fables. There were were loads of them floating around Israel at the time when um, Luke was writing. You may, if you're feeling very cultured, have read Ovid's Metamorphosis. I'm not going to ask if anyone has. But there's a story in that about a man called Acteon who got turned into a stag. There are also other people who had the misfortune to be turned from a human being into a tree or a human being into a stone. I can't imagine that was a very rewarding journey. But people transformed from one thing to another. That's all in legend. That's all in myth. But people were familiar with the idea of transfiguration. Somebody changing into something else. You know what Luke records here? 
What the other gospel writers tell us about is not myth or legend. It's history. It's an event that takes place. And Jesus doesn't change from something that he's not into something different. He just is revealed in more of his splendor. And the three disciples witness this transfiguration. They see Jesus for a few brief moments as he really is. They see Jesus as he is. Jesus, as he came to earth as a baby, came and left the splendor of heaven. It says in John 6, verse 38, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. He's come in flesh. He's fully God. And he's also fully human. Philippians 2, verse 7, it says, He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made into human likeness. And what we get in this passage is a bit like what happened to us on holiday. As the clouds lifted on the Pennines and we got to see the hills and the valleys for what they really were. The cloud here descends. It's like a reverse of what happened to us. But the disciples get to see Jesus as he is. And this passage is a bit like an onion. You know, like as you're peeling an onion, apart from the, the tears that flow, you go through one layer, you get another layer, and there's another layer. And you keep peeling back. There's more and more to go at. This passage, the more you dig into it, the more significance you realize there is here. So Jesus is physically changed. Look at verse 29. It says, his face is as bright as a flash of lightning. We're reminded of Moses' face as he comes down the mountain from Sinai. When his face, people couldn't look at him because he was radiating the glory of God. Verse 32, men appear in glory speaking with Jesus. We've got Moses, the great lawgiver, the one who led the people out of slavery. We've got Elijah, the great prophet of the Old Testament. All the hopes of the Old Testament, all the things that the prophets were longing for and pointing to, are fulfilled in Christ. You know, Isaiah said there was one coming who'd be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. In Christ, there is fulfillment. And what we find here with these heavenly visitors is that we have witnesses who are saying just who Jesus is. Deuteronomy 9, verse 19, verse 5 tells us that in an event, two or three people are needed to say that that event is real. You notice what we have in this passage. We have three heavenly witnesses confirming who Jesus is. The voice of God the Father, Moses and Elijah. We have three earthly witnesses, the three disciples. They've been there. They have seen this transfigured Christ. Three from heaven, three from earth. Jesus, fully God and fully man. Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises. Turn in your life today where you're looking for fulfillment. A lot of people look for fulfillment in all kinds of things, don't they? What are the two questions you get asked when you first meet somebody? Anyone want to shout it out? Yeah. Where do you live? What do you do? How much of our sort of basic human sort of worth is based on what we do? Or perhaps you're not like that. Perhaps you think, oh, my worth is found in my leisure activities. You know, you live to pay the bills, you work to pay the bills, and then at the weekend you go off fishing or motor racing or horse riding or whatever other activities you can think of. And that is where you're looking for fulfillment. Or it might be in relationships. It might be in money. It might even be serving in church. 
might even be in finding some kind of ministry. And you think, that's where my fulfillment is found. But you know, fulfillment is only to be found in Jesus. It's in Christ that we are fulfilled, because Christ is the fulfillment of God's promises. As a church today, as we move forward, let's be fulfilled in Christ. Let's not forget that it's in him that all our hopes are rooted. Second thing we find in this passage is talking about the status of Jesus. You'll probably see us attempting to walk our dog around limb. I say attempting. Our dog is terrified of cars, and she, she sort of pulls and barks at every car. So you'll see me walking down the road with this dog that looks like it's, it's going absolutely ballistic. But we were out, me and Claire were out walking the dog the other lunchtime. And Claire's mum FaceTimed. Claire's mum and dad um, live in Florida. And Claire's dad is a, he's a minister of a church over there. And they've just moved house. And Claire's mum was telling this story. She's given me permission to tell this, um, by the way. And they were coming home from a prayer meeting. And they went into their road. And she said that all the houses looked the same on their road. So she drove down the road. Claire's dad gets out to go to the mailbox. Remember in the States, mail doesn't come through your front door. You have a mailbox on the road. So he goes to empty it. Claire's mum pulls up the drive. And she's got one of these fancy gadgets, you know, where you press the button and your, your garage door opens. So she presses it. Nothing happens. So she presses it again. Nothing happens. So she keeps pressing it. Have you, do you ever do that in life? You know, the fan in our um, bathroom is broken. And I keep pressing the button just to see if my finger is like a, an amazing electrician and will repair this, uh, this socket all by itself. But she's pressing it over and over and over again. Meanwhile, Claire's dad is stood two doors down, killing himself laughing as the garage door is going up and down and up and down and up and down. She's gone up the wrong drive, hasn't she? You know, it's easy to, to go to take a wrong turning in life, isn't it? It's very easy, sadly, to take a wrong turning when it comes to the status of Jesus. The history of the church is sadly littered with people who've either tried to make Jesus not quite God or not fully man and have gone down a total wrong turning. I was talking to somebody a few months ago who said that they'd, they were quite proud about this. They said they'd come to a position where they now understood Jesus to contain God. You know, God was in Christ, but Christ wasn't in God. And they were saying that, well, it doesn't make much difference, does it? And, you know, alarm bells are going off in my head, saying it makes a massive difference. You have just said that Jesus is not God. You have just gone down a dead end. You are no longer worshipping Jesus as Lord and Jesus as your Savior. What happens at this event of the transfiguration is a very big deal. Verse 35, we get the authentication at the voice of God the Father. The second time that the Father has spoken over the Son, the first time was at baptism. What does he say? This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. This is my Son. I've chosen him. Listen to him. And it's out of the cloud that the voice of the Father speaks. You know, clouds in the Bible are often signifying God's presence. Think of the Exodus. It's the cloud that is God's presence that leads them during the day. Back to Moses on Mount Sinai, it's the cloud that covers the mountain that is God's presence. Or the dedication of Solomon's temple, where the cloud of God's presence fills the temple and people can't even go in. You know, as we move into this next chapter of our life as a church, we need to be 100% rooted 
in who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. He is fully God. He is also fully human. He is unique. He's the only one who leads people to saving faith. He's the only one who leads us to be friends with God. And we listen to him. That's what God calls us to do, to listen to him. Jesus is head of this church. Not me, not the leadership team, not even the church meeting. It's Jesus, and we're called to listen. Third thing we find in this, um, these verses is the cross. You may be thinking, no, we don't. The cross is not mentioned in these verses at all. But actually, I want to suggest that the cross and the resurrection are totally central to what is happening here. What does Jesus speak with Moses and Elijah about? Well, he's not talking about the weather. He's not talking about what a great experience it is to be up on the mountain. He's not saying how nice it is to see you again. Look at verse 30. He was talking about his departure, which he was soon to bring to fulfillment. He's talking about what's coming, the cross and the resurrection. The word that Luke uses here for departure, actually in the original, is the word exodus. We don't tend to use that word to mean that um, in our sort of everyday language, so it's translated differently. But if I read it like this, it was about his exodus, which he was about to bring to fulfillment. Don't we start to read it in a bit of a different light? We start to make those links back to Moses, back to the people of Israel, back to Moses leading the people from slavery into freedom. You know, Jesus leads people from a far greater captivity than the people of Israel were ever in. And he leads people into a far greater freedom than the people of Israel went to. Luke, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, records Jesus opening the the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and saying this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, Jesus leads people to freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from rebellion against God, freedom from the slavery to the powers of darkness, freedom from death itself. At the cross, we are made free, aren't we? Jesus dies in our place, takes what we deserve and offers us freedom. But I think too often it's tempting to want a Christianity that is based on something other than the cross, that's rooted on other things, that's sort of based on amazing experiences. I think actually as you look at this passage, Peter is a little bit like this. I don't know how you would react if you'd been on the mountaintop with Jesus and you were there and, you know, the two great figures of Israel's history are there with you. And you've heard the voice of God, and the cloud has come down, and Jesus' face is like lightning. What on earth do you say in that kind of situation? What on earth do you say? Well, look what Peter says. He says in verse 33, it is good for us to be here. Well done, Peter. Full marks. That's a good comment. It's good for us to be here. But then look up what he goes to say. He says, let us put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I don't know about you, but that's a bit off the wall. Where on earth is that coming from? I think Luke agrees. I think there's a bit of humor in what Luke says here. He doesn't know what he's saying. Peter just has not got a clue. Those of you who went on holiday, who took photos in one way or another, either on a phone or on a camera, just put your hands in the air. 
We took some photos. We actually got some in the sun as well once that rain has cleared up. We take photos, and I think we do it because we want to capture the moment, don't we? We want to put a marker in the sand. We want a monument to a good event. I wonder if this part of Peter here is actually what he wants to do. Is he wants to say, this event is so amazing, I want a monument to it. I want to keep it for a bit longer. I want to box it in. You know, you couldn't tweet it or Instagram it. So we had to say, well, let's put up three shelters. Let's keep this moment here. Let's build something. Yeah, Christians like building things, don't we? The church has been building things for 2,000, well, not quite for 2,000 years, but for quite a long time. Quite often, um, we go over into Wales because Claire's grandparents live over there. And if you drive around Wales, particularly the part where the Welsh revival of 1904-1905 was at its peak and its strongest, you'll see there are lots of chapels. God had moved. People in their tens of thousands had become Christians. And so how did the church respond? It responded by building physical things. We need buildings to house all these people. We need stuff that we can see that says God has moved. God has done something. Let's anchor down what God is doing and hold it there. You know, the problem is you can't put God in a building. God won't be boxed in or fenced in in the way that we think about when building in that kind of way. And the depressing thing is, is so many things that have been built for the glory of God end up as relics. God's Spirit has called the church elsewhere, but those things are still standing. You know, we're not called to build monuments to what God has done in the past, not physical ones. I can't think of any place in the church, in the, in the scriptures, where the church is instructed to do that. We're called to build God's, God's kingdom, aren't we? We're called to seek first the kingdom of God. Now, you may be thinking, am I going to now stand here the first time I preach here in the church and say, this building is of no significance whatsoever? Well, in one sense, yes, I am. Because this building isn't what matters. God's spirit has come into our hearts. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. Does this building matter? Well, yes, it does in the sense that it's a resource God has given us. It's something we can use to bring people in. It's something we can use so that we can share together like we are doing this morning. It's something we can use to reach out with the good news of the gospel. But we can't box God in here. We're called to go. We're called to get out of those places of shelter into the communities and share Jesus. I wonder also whether this part of Peter who wanted to stay on the mountaintop because he didn't like what Jesus had said previously. All this talk about suffering, about death. I wonder whether he was thinking, well, that doesn't sound like the kind of Messiah that I want to follow. Let's just capture this mountaintop experience. Let's just stay here. You know, I love it in my own walk with the Lord when there are mountaintop experiences. When there are those times in my life when God has felt really close and there's been that sort of tangible sense of God's presence. Now that, to me, has taken place when I've been in prayer, when I've been in some worship, when I've been opening the Bible, when I've spent time with Christian friends, um, doing all kinds of different things together. And those times are special moments. They are times when we feel that our faith is being built up and we're being encouraged in our faith. It's important to remember them. It's important to rejoice in them. And Peter does that when he later then makes reference to the transfiguration in one of his letters. It's not surprising that we want to have those moments because our final destination is to be with the Lord forever. 
Our final destination is to be like this mountaintop experience. But you know, in this life, as it was for the disciples, there's work to do. There's a commission to fulfill. The people of God are a sent people. We've, by sa we've been saved by faith through grace. But we're called to go out and share that with other people. Jesus' road from the mountain wouldn't lead him from one great experience to another, but it would lead him ultimately to the cross. It would lead to the cross. It would lead to the tomb. But then it would lead to the glory of resurrection. You know, as we start this new chapter of our life as a church, we need to be a cross-centered people. We need to be a church who remembers that at the cross, Jesus has saved us. That at the cross, Jesus has taken our sin upon himself. Fourth thing we see in this passage is that we're commissioned. Those three words that God the Father said to the disciples, listen to him. Listen to what Jesus tells us to do. That wasn't an instruction given to Moses and Elijah, but it was to the three disciples, Peter, James, and John. What happens next in Luke's Gospel? If you've got your Bible in front of you, just have a look. Look at the next few pages. Look what's coming up. They come off the mountainside. They've had this amazing experience of the transfiguration of Jesus. They've witnessed the presence of God in their midst. Verses 37 to 43 is back down to dealing with a broken humanity. They're dealing with a boy who's got an evil spirit that is causing him to have convulsions. From the mountaintop to a world in need. From proclamations of glory to dealing with the brokenness of humanity that is wrought by the fall. You know, that is what ministry for a church is all about. That is what we're called to. You know, we're called on one hand to be the proclaimers of the triune God, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We proclaim the love of the Father who sent Jesus into the world. We proclaim the status and the cosmic lordship of the Christ. And we proclaim the transforming power of the Spirit. And we sing about that, we declare that, we acknowledge who God is. If you like, we have one hand up to heaven. But we also need to have one firmly on the ground. Reaching down, reaching to people in love, reaching to people in care telling people the message of the cross, that Jesus has come to save them. We're called to look heavenward, but respond with our feet on the ground. You know, the New Testament writers know of no Christian discipleship that remains permanently on the mountain in this life. There is no model for following Jesus that is all about just amazing experience. Now, it's fantastic when those experiences happen, but we're told to come down and get involved in the brokenness of the world. For us as a church, you know, a few people have already asked me, what's your vision for the church in Lim? Now, if you talk about specific vision in terms of how we're going to use this building or what is God calling us to do in terms of very specific things, I'll be honest with you, I have not got a clue at the moment. That is something we'll be praying about. It's something as a leadership team, as a wider church. We'll shape that as the days and the weeks and the months and the years go on. But what I do know from reading the scriptures, is that our vision is about listening to Jesus. It's about listening to the Spirit speaking to us. It's about proclaiming the cross and the resurrection. 
It's about proclaiming that it's by faith alone that we're saved. It involves rolling up our sleeves, if you like, to share the gospel. Now, we do that. Yes, we do it through words, but we do it through actions. We do it with love. We do it with care. Hopefully, there will be times on the mountaintop. But in this life, there is work to do. There is a commission to fulfill. And we need to be prepared to come down, get our hands dirty, and share Jesus, that without him, the world, the people who don't know him, are heading for a godless eternity. We're commissioned. The Father has spoken. Listen to him. Are we listening? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're just amazed that you have called us to follow you. We just thank you so much that you were obedient to your Father's will, that you came into this world. And Lord, today we acknowledge you as King of kings and Lord of lords. And Lord, I want to pray that as we go into a new chapter, that we will be secure in understanding who you are. We will have a relationship with you that is ever deepening. And we will have a passion to share you with Lim, with the surrounding towns and villages, and right across the world. Lord, you've spoken to us. Help us to listen. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.